Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Monday, March the 2nd. And thank you so much for tuning in here with me today. As always, if you have any burning questions or a subject you want to hear more about or you just want to say hi, please email me at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. Got a good show lined up here today. In the back half of the program, I am set to be joined by the executive director of the Kamloops Food Bank, Bernadette Siraki. She is going to join me here in studio to talk about the upcoming M. Bulls fundraiser. March is a big month for the food bank with this campaign set to get underway. In previous years, they have bowls that were signed by some big time celebrities, which they then auctioned off. While this year, in its fifth year, they want to open things up a little bit and have teamed up with the Kamloops Central BIA. And there are several downtown businesses that will be collecting $1 from every bowl of soup sold towards this great cause. So Bernadette will join me more at around the 35 minute mark of the hour to talk about this campaign itself and just how the food bank is looking now as we begin the third month of 2020. A big weekend for the Kamloops Blazers, of course. The uh, Prince George Cougars have been a tough team for the Blazers over the course of this season, but that wasn't the case this past weekend with a pair of convincing wins. It started on Friday with a 6-1 to game where the Blazers put up 49 shots on Taylor Goche, a goalie that has given him quite a bit of trouble this season. Orenson Tazo scored a pair of goals on that road game on Friday before scoring another one on Saturday for his 42nd goal of the season as part of a 6-3 to win here at home over the Cougars. Across the entire entire Canadian Hockey League. That has him tied for seventh in goals scored this season. He is second in the WHL. He will be second in the QMJHL if he were playing there. And there are four players in the Ontario Hockey League with more than 42. That's a pretty impressive stat line, in my opinion, from the small statured 19-year-old Oren Santazzo. 42 goals, which actually is the seventh most across the entire Canadian Hockey League. Here is John Keane on that call. And the Blazers here continue on the Camus Dodge power play. It's very top left circle. Backdoor pass. It'll bounce to Max Martin. He'll work in. On it. Backdoor pass. Score! the third goal in the game on Saturday night and it came just two minutes and 37 seconds into the game. The Blazers had a 5-0 lead less than 10 minutes into the contest. So they were in control of that one pretty much right from the opening faceoff, uh, eventually winning the game 6-3. to Here is head coach Sean Clouston, who was on the NL Morning News today, talking about Santazzo. He was asked if he pictured Oren as a guy who could potentially flirt with 50 goals this season. Probably not. I mean, 50 is, is very, very rare. Um, 40 is a huge accomplishment. There's not very many guys that, that do that. I did know he was a good player. I mean, I think a lot of people knew he was a good player. Um, he's got great speed. Uh, the thing I noticed early on, and, and you know, one of the things that are, that are most impressive is his ability to strip pucks. He's, he's, he's a very smart player. He's in, he's in good position so often. I, you know, in that line, and, and that, there's another real positive. That line got clicking, and you know, they yeah. hadn't been for a while. So when that line's going, uh, each guy, you know, Zary, Franklin, and Santazzo give you something a little bit different. And you know, when, when they're all working, 
it's it's it's, it's really really impressive and uh, what Oren brings is some speed and uh, real good positional play uh, he lets the other guys kind of go a little bit and if you watch he ends up being the third guy high quite often uh, but but great reads and picks passes off and you know in the offenses the other teams break out and and then with that speed, he's able to close from behind, and he's got a, kind of an interesting technique. He kind of flips his stick over and can kind of reach it in like a fish hook, and you know, ends up, you know, and that's an area that we track. He ends up with three or four or five, you know, takeaways a lot of nights too. Yeah, so 42 goals, a total of 76 points for Santazo here, just uh, uh, one point back of Connor Zeri for second on the team, and uh, St. Franklin continuing to lead the way with 84 total points, but Santazo leading the way when it comes to those goals with 42. Uh, he's getting set to turn 20 here in just about a month's time, so wonder if that uh, you know impressive season he's having right now is going to be enough to vault him into a, you know, a potential conversation for a pro career here moving forward. I'm sure there is definitely more hockey in his future, uh, so uh, yeah, Good luck to him and then uh, awesome season so far. And hopefully we can see it as they have about 10 games left, not about 10 games. The Blazers have 10 games left here on the season. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be more opportunities to do some damage. Also, Logan Stankoven scored a pair of goals on the weekend. That brings his total up to 28 on the season, which is just one goal back of the franchise's 16-year-old rookie record, which is owned by, of course, Rob Brown, who had 29 goals in his rookie season in the 1984-85 campaign. So, uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of time before we see that record fall and Logan Stankoven and becomes the all-time leading goal scorer for a 16-year-old rookie in Blazers history. So that'll be a fun, uh, fun chase to watch uh, happen here over the next little while. So John Keane is going to join me at the end of the show to talk more about that four-point weekend for the Blazers, who now sit nine points ahead of Victoria for first in the BC Division, with, like I said, ten games left to play, and it's a big week coming up with five games in seven days, starting with Vancouver on Wednesday. And coming up next here on the show, I'm going to be joined by Acumen Law's Kyla Lee, my usual Monday guest here. A couple of things are on our agenda. Uh, when talking about the coronavirus, is it possible that someone could be sued for negligence? When people get COVID COVID from those who are, you know, aware they're showing symptoms and not getting tested, could suing be an option? Could be, you know, any criminal liability be in place for people who do not declare their travel to and from China or who show symptoms and do not get tested? We'll talk a little bit about that possibility. A couple other things as well. There was a recent case out of Fox Creek, Alberta, where a 58-year-old woman was driving home from work when she was pulled over. The woman told the officer that she had not had a single drink that day. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But the officer demanded a mandatory breath test. A new law passed, of course, in 2018 means police no longer need reasonable suspicion uh, to ask for a driving uh, a driver to give a breath test in nine tries this woman was unable to provide a suitable sample she was criminally charged with refusing to comply with the breath demand and her driver's license suspended and car impounded and for the next four months she had to fight with an appeal racked up more than two thousand dollars in various fees for things like cab rides and legal expenses plus of course the extreme inconvenience that comes with not having a vehicle uh, the charge was eventually withdrawn when prosecutors saw medical evidence that this woman had copd a chronic lung disease and her license suspension was overturned uh, in September. So a good outcome, but of course a big headache for that individual. And there was also a recent story out of the island where a man who was charged with speeding in March of last year on the Malahat portion of the Trans-Canada Highway in Langford, uh, there was a brief spot where there was an opportunity for him to pass this slow-moving tour bus. Uh, it was a single-lane highway, but there was, a, of course, a little bit of a stretch there for a passing lane. So the man pulled into the left lane to pass what he claims to, uh, you know, sorry, what 
to pass what was a slow-moving, quote-unquote, tour bus. Um, and then when he did that move, he realized there was a transport truck that decided to do the same thing and was then bearing down upon him from behind at a high rate of speed. Uh, sorry, a high speed. So the man says that he sped up to avoid being rear-ended, passed the tour bus, moved back into the right lane, and then was subsequently pulled over for speeding. So he was charged with doing 103 in an 80 zone. He told the officer what happened and why he was driving as fast as he was, you know, basically apologizing, saying I wasn't trying to be going 23 kilometers over the speed limit, but it was necessary in order to avoid a collision. Uh, this case was just recently dismissed as the court found the man uh, who had stuck to his story, found him to be a credible witness, and decided that he had to break the law in this specific case for his own safety, and the charge was dropped. But, again, a case of a big hassle to deal with the issue, but, hey, I mean, that's what the justice system is for, right? So that when these things happen and there is a means to defend your actions, you get the opportunity to do so. So Kyla and I will get into all of that next, so stay tuned. we got more Jeff Andrea show coming up after the break. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back into the show here on Monday. Hope you all had a lovely weekend. Here to talk a little bit about law, I am joined on the line now by the chip guru herself and defense lawyer with Acumen Law, Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for coming on again. Thank you for having me. I guess I should provide a little background here. So you started this uh, chip channel, and I just wanted to get you to, to re, re uh, say your advice here one more time. What were these crab chips that you said we're discussing? Oh, they're Ukrainian crab chips. Don't eat them. Crab is not a good flavor for a chip. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to get that out there. So if you guys are curious about, uh, you know, what chips are good to try, you can check out Kyla's new YouTube channel. It's uh, it's quite fun. All right, well, that aside, let's get into some news here. Um, we'll talk a little bit about coronavirus first, because this was something that I was kind of interested in when you brought it up. Um, the p possibility of being able to sue, I guess, for, for negligence or something along those lines, um, as a result of people not properly testing themselves if they show symptoms or not declaring a trip to China. Um, you know, just what, what do you see as a possibility here moving forward as, you know, of course, uh, the general population seems to go crazier and crazier over this uh, coronavirus and COVID-19. Is there a possibility that legal action could be coming from individuals as a result of this? I think so. Uh, you know, we're seeing now more and more cases that are being identified where people don't have a connection themselves to somebody who has either traveled to a, one of the coronavirus outbreak locations or had contact with somebody who's a known case of coronavirus. And the, the problem in those cases is that they likely received it from somebody who was in the community who had not declared either their travel to those locations or their symptoms and had proper testing. And if a person falls ill as a result of the negligence of another person in not taking appropriate steps in light of what is a you know world public health crisis, then they may have a cause of action against that individual if they're ultimately identified as the person who caused them to to develop that illness. Now, would this go from what you said there? It sounds to me like it would be an individual. You'd sue an individual person for um, you know not properly taking the steps to make sure that they are indeed healthy. Or, or at least not infected with coronavirus. But, you know, is there, I guess, a possibility that you would see something beyond just an individual? Like maybe, um, you know, if you're at work and there's someone at work who uh, gets sick but is still continuing to come into work and it affects the office, I mean, could you be looking at suing a, a potential company over something like that as well? Absolutely. Companies have an obligation to protect their employees and staff members. And so if an employer sees somebody who's 
ill and who's exhibiting symptoms of an illness that's similar to the symptoms of of COVID-19, that employer has a responsibility to protect the workplace and to ensure that that employee goes, gets tested and doesn't return to work until they're they're asymptomatic. And if that's not happening, then uh, people could potentially have a lawsuit against their employers. If doctors who are treating individuals who come into their clinics with symptoms are not recommending that they get tested and not having them tested, then those doctors could potentially be liable as well in uh, in medical negligence lawsuits for not taking appropriate steps in light of this of this health crisis. Well, I really hope it doesn't get to that point, but I guess, you know, just as things get wor- are more and more, um, you know, uh, worrisome and, and people are, are around the world getting more and more concerned about this as a possibility and, and a global health crisis, uh, I, do, I do fear that this could be something that comes up a little more often, but hopefully not. Hopefully everyone can get healthy and we can kind of move past this whole thing soon, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I uh, wanted to move on here to some some driving stuff as well. Um, first thing I wanted to talk about was the situation out of Fox Creek uh, where a 58-year-old woman, you know, she, she smokes a pack a day, has COPD likely as a result of her smoking habit, uh, was unable to provide a breath sample due to her medical condition when she was pulled over for really no real reason. Uh, she was asked to provide a breath sample because cops don't need reasonable suspicion to request one anymore. Uh, she tries um, a number of times but was unable to uh, provide a sufficient breath sample and eventually charged with refusing to comply with the breath demand. Well, this is something we have talked about a number of times here, Kyla, but, um, you know, this just, is this becoming more and more and more common where these people who are, you know, suffering from medical conditions just can't provide a proper breath sample and, you know, are getting charged as a result? This is becoming incredibly common. And the reason for it is that now police have this power to demand a sample from anybody at any time, um, which means that they're not doing the screening that they would otherwise do with drivers to determine those who have actually been drinking versus people who are sick or who have other reasons why they may appear to be uh, to be the, the way that they are. Um, and you also have the lack of an opportunity for officers to really engage with drivers. Um, you know, you get a sense if somebody has a breathing problem in conversation with them because their breathing can become labored through having that type of discussion. But because police are just jumping to demanding the sample, they're not getting that sense. And they're treating now every single case of unsuccessful attempts to provide a sample as a deliberate refusal, even in the face of serious medical conditions like COPD. So what do you have for recommendations for individuals who have these kinds of conditions? I guess, is it a matter of making sure you always have proof of your condition in your vehicle in case something like this were to happen? As absurd as that sounds, yes, that is probably your best course of action because you can show the officer, look, here's my medical record, Here, here's proof that I have this breathing disorder. I'm not somebody who's, who's not providing a successful sample uh, deliberately. Um, and it's one of the rare occasions where I would say to somebody, you know, if you do suffer from this condition, assert that to the officer at the time. And usually my advice is never tell anything to the police. But in this type of a situation, if you don't want to walk away facing the consequences immediately, that's really the only thing that you can do to try and protect yourself against this this police action that is otherwise going to be taken against you. Yeah, because I don't really feel like there's really much of an option. In this particular case, that woman did have her charges eventually dropped after being able to prove in court that she suffered from COPD, and that's why she was unable to provide an adequate breast sample. But, like, she, she went about trying to provide a blood sample, which is not allowed, so they wouldn't accept that, which, you know, makes sense, I guess, to some degree. But, you know, there's really no other course of action that anyone can take, right? If you don't provide a proper breast sample, then what else can you do to prove your innocence other than having their medical uh, condition uh, proof of it with you? 
And it's really unfortunate that this had to go all the way to court for this to be determined in this case. It shouldn't have taken that long. It would have been preferable if in this circumstance, um, you know, that information, there was a process where that medical information could be provided to police really quickly right after the incident, you know, a letter from a doctor or something to that effect to try and stop these charges before they get to court. Because not only does that cost her time and money, it also costs our justice system time and money with the matter being scheduled in court taking up time of a judge, time of a prosecutor, witnesses having to prepare for for court. All of those costs could have been avoided had there been a system in place. And when the government passed this law, they knew that this was likely going to happen in some cases. So they could have put a system in place when they put the law into effect to protect from situations like this. And they didn't. And it's completely unfair. Now, speaking of cases that, you know, went through court and took a long time and, you know, you, you said uh, uh, needlessly in this last case, really, that it went to court be, based on the whole situation of what happened. But there was a recent case here off the island near Langford uh, where a man was charged with uh, speeding, uh, where he was trying to pass a slow-moving uh, tour bus that was on a single-lane stretch of highway. He had a brief opportunity in a passing lane to make the pass. Uh, as he went to do so, a truck came up behind him and, uh, you know, he felt the need to speed up even further in order to not get rear-ended and then eventually you know, made the safe maneuver back into the right lane, but was then pulled over for speeding. Um, now, this case has eventually been dismissed, but it took quite a while. I guess, you know, in this case, was this a matter of a man sticking to his story and, and you know, the fact that he did so made him a credible witness, which allowed this charge to be dropped? This was uh, in part that the court in the decision here recognized that um, that this individual had stuck to his story, that he presented as credible. There was nothing to suggest that his version of events wasn't accurate, and his perception of the situation was really what was the deciding factor in this case at the end of the day, not the police officer's perception of the situation. Yeah, and I guess it was kind of felt that uh, basically there, there was a need in this situation to break the law temporarily in order to make sure that he remains safe, breaking that driving law and going a little bit above the speed limit. Um, you know, is that is that a difficult um, defense to take to say that, you know, I, I had to do this in order to, to make sure I was safe? It is a difficult defense to mount because you have to prove not only that you perceived that there was an imminent threat to your, you know, to your life or your safety, but also um, that uh, there was no reasonable legal alternative available to you and that the actions you took were proportional to the harm that you caused. So the momentary speeding um, was proportionally better than the, you know, potential of being involved in a collision on the Malahat um, and the idea that there was no reasonable legal alternative because there was no way to move into the other lane and get out of the way of this vehicle that was approaching quickly from behind also supported this defense. So to make out this defense, you actually have to have a lot of evidence to explain why you made a decision that you made, often in a split-second situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it was interesting to, to read through the, the, the uh, decision itself and just sort of how it was eventually uh, ruled that, you know, he had to do what he had to do in order to remain safe, but it was a long process and uh, uh, definitely, uh, I think, a learning moment for a lot of drivers to make sure that you have a story, you stick to it, and, and not just that, you make it up, but, you know, if you are in that situation that, uh, you know, you, you do what you need to do to, to not get rear-ended, not get killed, and make sure everyone's aware of what happened. Uh, we're pretty much out of time here, so Kyla. evidence. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but thank you so much for coming on. As always, always appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again uh, next week. All right, thank you. Awesome. That was Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Coming up next, the Kamloops Food Bank's getting ready for a big fundraiser here this month. Executive Director Bernadette Siraki will join me in studio next to talk more after this. <laughs> 
Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Monday, March 2nd. And thanks so much for tuning in. I am joined now in studio by the executive director of the Kamloops Food Bank, Bernadette Sraki. Bernadette, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning. So this is uh, coming up here this month, the fifth annual Empty Bowls fundraiser. But things are going to be a little bit different from what I understand this year compared to years past. So maybe just for the audience, give a quick explanation of what's going to be changing here in 2020. Sure. Um, For those of you who have not heard of empty bowls for the past four years we uh, were able to get bowls signed by celebrities um, and some really great ones we Mm -hmm. had Paul McCartney Keith Richards Ozzy Osbourne um, but we had a lot of fun with that event so we held it at the Delta we had 200 people come for lunch we had our MLAs and our mayor were auctioneers and we would auction these bowls off Um, it was a lot of fun but really the highlight of this event was um, the soup So we had several, about eight chefs that would come from different restaurants and they would make soup and bread and people could try all the different soups. And the feedback from that was extraordinary. So when we were talking about the event this year, we thought, how can we include more of the community and and highlight what people really loved? And that was the soup. So we approached the Downtown Business Improvement Association and Carl jumped on board with us right away. And um, we proceeded to chat with many restaurants downtown. And what we're going to do is take it out into the community. So people can go to uh, any of the participating restaurants downtown. And you'll know because they have a poster and they'll have these little... (laughs) cards on the table Um, and one dollar from every bowl of soup sold uh, goes to the Kamloops Food Bank. Okay so you got 14 businesses on board. That's right. Was that a lot? Were you surprised by how many people jumped on board with this project? Oh we were delighted. Um, Not surprised because many of them participated in the original empty bowls but I'm not surprised in general because Kamloops Um, is a very generous city. And when you create an opportunity for people to support you, they really do here. So the the restaurants who haven't been involved before are quite excited to be involved. And you can go onto our website, kamloopsfoodbank.org. And you can, uh, we created a catalog actually to highlight all of the chefs and their stories and their restaurants. So there's a beautiful picture and write up about every one of the restaurants and chefs. Um, And you can also vote there. So, yeah, vote for your favorite restaurant. Right on. So it's a very uh, engaging process here this time around. Um, and you had mentioned, you know, kind of how it's differentiating, differentiating from last year, where it was sort of a, a one-day event where, right. um, you know, it was sort of about the people who were in the room during that fundraiser. But this is an opportunity now for a lot more of the community to get involved. Um, so just, you know, can you talk a little bit about just how, how you know, you talked about how Kamloops is a very giving and generous place, but this provides an opportunity for a lot more people to be involved in this process. Yeah, it really does. And it's an easy way to support what we do. Um, this is BCLC Empty Bowls. Um, so they, uh, they were title sponsor from the minute that we asked them. And it just, it trickles down from the, the corporations and the leadership in this community. I mean, they're really models for supporting the charities in the community and supporting um, 
efforts to support our, our most vulnerable, which is what we do, right? So we serve 7,000 individuals, 54 community agencies that make meals, and we operate the largest food recovery program in uh, BC, and that would be impossible without the support of this community. So our message is really heard, but what I find being at the food bank, it really is um, a magical place to be because people come um, with true generosity, compassion, and non-judgment. And what that, the energy that creates in there and the support it creates for the people we serve is, um, it's intangible, but you can feel it. So when people come, they, they often mention that they're very grateful to have an opportunity to be in an organization and to serve the community in a meaningful way. And Kamloops shows up, always. How big is this event for you? Can you can you kind of touch on how how significant it was in the past, just for you know, sure. like percentage of contribution to your annual um, donations yeah. and things like that? Um, for those of of you who know or the listeners that know about nonprofits, it's always a struggle to get mm-hmm. <laughs> with events and with fundraising and the next dollar. Um, many people make assumptions that perhaps food banks are supported with uh, provincial dollars, and they're not. So we do we do receive a certain percentage of our funding from um, something called the Community Gaming Grant, okay. which is from lottery funds. Uh, but the rest of it is really fundraising efforts and um, donations that come in the door. So we really do need many things to survive and to meet the need at our door, and that is volunteers, food, and funds. We need them all. And I think what we found in Kamloops is that um, people are very community driven. They're very relationship based here. So when they come to the food bank and they create a meaningful moment for themselves, they tend to come back and, um, you know, serve special hampers or bring their kids classes. And I think that is going to be where we make the biggest change at the food bank is inviting people in because the only way that poverty is going to change um, is with the next generation. And they need an opportunity to be involved in a meaningful way, be comfortable in organizations like ours, and to really put their visioning. Like these kids now, there's no end to their dreams. I mean, they're mm-hmm. watching kids that snowboard, that are, you know, millionaires by the time yeah. they're 20. I mean, there's just no end to how they see the world. Like there's just no boundaries to what can be. And so when they come, I always talk to these classes about... Um, remembering to be compassionate and generous because if you can give give that only puts good energy in the world and it's going to create a different future we haven't quite figured out how to end poverty i mean hunger is just a sign of poverty mm-hmm. it's i mean wipe it all away for whatever reason people cannot afford food Well, it's one of those things, right, that kind of goes to the back burner when you're looking at all your finances, right? You want to pay your rent, you want to pay for your hydro bills, you want to pay for all that stuff, and sometimes food is the one that gets put on the the last of the list, right? Well, and you know what? Even people that perhaps are not in a vulnerable position, um, it's expensive to live. (laughs) Even when you have a full-time job, um, you're not struggling with mental health, with a disability, with a family crisis. So things are going pretty good. You know, uh, most people, and I know people have heard this sentence, but it's honestly true. I mean, many people are just one, two, or three paychecks away from being at the food bank themselves. I mean, if people lost their job without that being replaced, even without any other issue in your life, you could be there. 
And so if people could just humbly understand that it could be any one of us, then your view changes a little bit. Um, where is the food bank right now, I guess, in terms of your, your stock? We're into, into March now. Yeah. Um, I know winter and, and Christmas tends to be that real busy season where yeah. you see a lot more things cutting off the shelves. Um, just what is your current situation in terms of a stock right now? Well, uh, good question. This is the time where things start dwindling a little bit. We And you're right, Christmas is... Um, um, it's just flowing in the door. Like that's really a time of year when people give even without being asked. Mm -hmm. So um, the ebb and flow of food in the food bank is certainly a pattern that we do see over the years. And that is one of the reasons we have a food drive coming up in April. So April 18th is the Rotary Food Drive. Um, we typically get around 60,000 pounds of, of product, which is incredibly helpful and needed at this time. So please look for, believe it or not, the yellow bag is coming back. <laughs> it's famous. People, our last food drive was not as successful without that bag. And um, so, but we did hear the environmental concerns and um, the bags are going to be biodegradable. So look for the yellow bag April 18th, but continue to support our efforts. And I say this every time I, I come on, if you're interested to see what we do, come in for half an hour one day, come in for an hour, come for a tour, serve some clients, get a feeling for what we do and just see how great this community is really. Awesome. Yeah. And um, one thing I do want to ask about going back to empty bowls here about, uh, you know, you mentioned that people are going to be voting on what their yes. favorite soups are. Um, you know, what is, what is in it for the chefs? Is this purely bragging rights? Are they going to be showing off the fact that they had the best soup here in yeah. the month of March? And not just bragging rights. There's a bowl trophy. Ooh, <laughs> that's pretty exciting. <laughs> yep. So um, the Super Bowl, we're calling it. Is nice. that creative? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You spelled it S-O-U-P, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, this the they're going to win by um, the addition of two things. So we're adding the number of votes on the website plus the number of bowls of soups uh, sold in their restaurant. So um, we're adding those numbers together and whatever is the greatest, they will get the trophy for the year. Right. And we're starting off on Friday. So check your social media um, with a super, uh, with a soup crawl. So we're going to several of the restaurants downtown. We have some famous folk in town that are going to see how many bowls of soup they can eat. <laughs> at several other restaurants just to get this started. So it's a really easy thing to support. And it doesn't just support the food bank. I'm hoping it'll draw people into all of those restaurants. Maybe people can, with their workplaces, make a challenge that um, they're going to go to all of these restaurants over the course of the month to have a bowl of soup. That would be amazing. Right on. Well, I think it's a, a great idea. I think it's a great uh, fundraiser and hopefully a lot of people will check it out. I do like, too, that it's a lot more inclusive, I think, this for Me the whole too. community. So yeah, I'm really happy about this. So um, get out and, and enjoy um, our amazing chefs in this city. <laughs> right on. Well, Bernadette, thank you so much thank for you, coming Jeff. in. Really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck here in this uh, campaign. And then we'll look ahead to the uh, food drive next month. Thank you. That was Bernadette Siraki, the executive director of the Kamloops Food Bank, talking about that empty bowls campaign. Of course, $1 from every bowl of soup will go to support the Kamloops Food Bank. There are uh, a number of downtown restaurants that are participating. So head downtown at some point over the course of the month. Order yourself a delicious bowl of soup. Um, $1 from that will help go to support the food bank. And then you can go online and vote for your favorite chef in terms of what soup you like the best and uh, have a nice little friendly competition for the soup. Uh, Super Bowl, as uh, Bernadette was saying. I'm sure a chef out there is 
you know, anxious to get their hands on that Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, you have a chance to help pick the winner. So please take part, and, and it's all for a good cause. Coming up next, the Blazers scored a pair of wins over the weekend with two victories over the PG Cougars. I'll be chatting more about that with the voice of the Blazers, John Keane, after this. So please stay tuned. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show and thanks so much for tuning in here on Monday, March the 2nd. The Kamloops Blazers scored a pair of wins over Prince George on the weekend, winning in PG on Friday night before coming home for another win here over the Cougars on Saturday. Here now to help break it all down is the voice of the Kamloops Blazers, John Keane. John, thanks for coming on again. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, happy Monday. And, uh, and yeah, you mentioned it's nice to have two wins uh, in the win column there for sure. Yeah, so I just want to start by looking at some goal totals here because, I mean, the Blazers scored 12 goals over the course of the weekend, so six in each game, and uh, they had 11 in their previous five meetings with Prince George. What was the difference here this weekend that allowed them to uh, sort of uh, break through in terms of that goal scoring? Well, I, I think if you keep doing enough good things uh, and play in the offensive zone and get scoring chances, eventually, you know, the law of averages, it's, you're going to break through. And I think that's what it was this weekend, Jeff. It was a, a situation of breaking through finally on, on Taylor Gauthier uh, to, to, to really get Adam there Friday and then, you know, really start the game well Saturday on home ice. So I think it was just, it was coming, but you just never know when it's going to come. So I'm sure they were happy with that. Yeah, and what did you make of Taylor Gauthier? Because, I mean, he has basically stolen a few games here for the Cougars over the course of this season series with the Blazers. Um, didn't have quite the same uh, luck, I guess, if you will, on Friday night. I mean, he did face 49 shots, so it's not like he wasn't busy, but just, I guess, wasn't quite as spectacular as he has been in the past. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's really tough to maintain a save percentage of 954, and that's what he had in his previous starts against the Blazers this season. So, you know, he had actually struggled earlier in the week uh, on a Wednesday game on home ice against Kelowna, so maybe not, you know, feeling his best uh, as far as his confidence level. And then uh, Prince George, a short two defensemen that would regularly play in their top six. So, you know, they had a couple of things going against them. But, yeah, Blazers are pretty determined, uh, and uh, they made more of an effort to, you know, to get to the net and, and look for loose pucks and you now they were rewarded for it now you know let's let's talk here about some individuals on the blazers i want to start with oren Santazo. i mean he got three goals over the weekend two friday one saturday he now has 42 genos on the season did you see this coming when the when the season began did you see a 40 goal scorer in oren Santazo? Yeah, you know, I didn't. Uh, you know, I, you know, probably I think 30 would have been a, a good number, uh, would have been an increase from last year. And, you know, and, and now he's at, well, he's at 42, and, and he tells me he's chasing 50. And I, I sort of threw it on Twitter. It was a bit of a rhetorical question about who, who saw this coming. And uh, it's funny because uh, both uh, former Blazer brass personnel and Stu McGregor and Matt Recchi, who acquired him from the Everett Silver Tips a couple of years ago, both kind of put their hand up and said, yeah, we did. So I thought that was kind of funny uh, that they chimed in there. Um, you know, it was a bit of a rhetorical question, but I mean, I think it is great for Oren, and I think he has had great chemistry with, with Zane Franklin, uh, his cousin, and then, of course, you work in Connor Zeri, uh, who's had a pretty good season as well, and I think all the recipe was there here for 40 and 40-plus 40 now as uh, the team continues on. 
Yeah, and I was saying this in my intro too, just looking at that season that he's having when compared to just not just the WHL, but the whole Canadian Hockey League, and he would actually be sitting 7th overall in goals scored right now, or at least tied for 7th if you include both the Q and the OHL. Pretty impressive numbers here from Oren Santazo. Um, also wanted to get into Logan Stankoven. I know we keep talking about him. It seems like every week we're, uh, you know, chiming in to say just how close he is to this new rookie goal-scoring record. Got two more on the weekend and is now sitting at uh, 28, just one back of that rookie goal-scoring record. Um, you know, just, man, he, he just keeps rolling. How many games in a row is this now? Yeah, that's seven straight, uh, Jeff. I'm not sure if you saw his goal that he scored Saturday night on home ice. It's on the highlights there online, but he just kind of came down that left wing. And actually, Taylor Goche was into the game because he didn't start Saturday, but he came in after it was 4 nothing when the uh, the ice wasn't even dry yet there seven minutes in. Uh, and Stanko just kind of uh, really quickly got a shot off from that left wall and, and put it right through him. And uh, he's, he's just, he has to keep shooting the puck because that's his strength. And, you know, he's got a nose for the net. He's one shy of that record now. Uh, again, uh, for Rob Brown there as far as 16-year-olds go, and, you know, he still has 10 games here, and, you know, I know he, he says he isn't gunning for it, but uh, it's, a, it's a nice number, and to be 16 and to be on the verge of scoring 30 goals in this league, that does not happen. That is not something you, you, you see, you rarely see. We'll have to look back in the last uh, 30 goal man for a 16-year-old, but uh, it's, it's been a special second half of the season for him. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about it if we do this conversation again next week, that he has been hitting 30, and he's got lots of opportunity here to do it. I mean, looking ahead to this upcoming schedule, it's a pretty daunting one just in terms of number of games here. Uh, five games over seven days starting on Wednesday here with Vancouver. Um, you know, this is, a, I think, going to be a good stretch here for the Blazers just to see how prepped they are for a playoff run with so many games and such little time. What are you looking forward to here on this uh, upcoming trip? I mean, uh, like I said, five games in seven days that's a lot of hockey I think I'm looking forward to seeing if Dylan Duran can get back in the crease here possibly Wednesday against Vancouver and if not uh, the weekend starting with uh, with Lethbridge on Friday so if you lay it out uh, Blazers are, are definitely looking to win that BC division title and, and all they need to do in their final 10 here Jeff is go five and five and it doesn't matter what Vancouver or Victoria does here, uh, especially Vancouver. Um, they're in a good spot here. Uh, you mentioned number of games, and I'm not only looking at can they finish that off, but, but can they stay healthy here? It's going to be a tough stretch, and, you know, there's uh, a, a game where they post um, Lethbridge here Friday night. They'll get on the bus immediately after the game, head south to Kennewick, Washington, and then play Tri-City Saturday and Sunday. That'll be a grind. They'll need everybody there uh, for this weekend here coming up, and then they take a day off, and then they go into Spokane and play them Tuesday. So, yeah, lots of hockey here coming up. Ten games. Uh, five and five has to be their mark. They win five games, and uh, they'll put their first BC Division banner up there in, uh, in seven seasons. Yeah, I think I think they're going to be able to pull it out. They got a nice little cushion right now over those second place Royals and over the third place Giants as well. Who actually, you know, uh, in terms of points left available, have a few more on the table than uh, than the Royals do. But uh, we'll see what happens here moving forward. I'm not sure. Um they, either team really has much of a chance to catch Camelops, but of course Camelops has to get their business done and, and get a few wins here, like you had mentioned. Five and five is the target. Um, and also you had mentioned Ramsey hopefully getting in the net on Wednesday. I heard from Sean Cluson on the NL Morning News here earlier today. Doesn't sound like Ramsey will be ready for Wednesday, but definitely gutting for the weekend for sure. So hopefully we see that because Garan needs to get some games in here prior to the playoffs beginning. Uh, definitely to hopefully get him back in a rhythm before uh, you know the, the, the tournament begins. So looking forward to it, John. Thanks so much for coming on and, and speaking with me, and we'll look ahead to Wednesday night here against Vancouver. 
Okay, Jeff. Sounds good. Have a good rest of your week. You too, John. That was the voice of the Kamloops Blazers, John Keane, talking about a very successful weekend here for the Blazers, winning a couple of games over Prince George, and now looking ahead to five games in seven days, starting on Wednesday when they take on Vancouver. And, of course, you can hear that right here on Radio NL, and that game will be at home at the Sandman Center. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed her time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.